This is the Secret Library Podcast. Welcome to Season 6. As we celebrate six years of the show, we are exploring a very important theme, publication. What does publication mean for you as a writer? What are the choices available? And how does that impact both you and your book? We'll be talking with multiple writers on their publication experience this season, helping you get closer to publication as well. Our very first guest this season is someone I have been waiting to speak to on this topic for well over a year at this point. Kemi Nekvapil was on the show back in season three, and that conversation was such a joy. We're kicking off season six and the topic of publication with Kemi's in my conversation because she is uniquely able to speak to both the independent publishing experience as well as traditional publishing. Kemi is one of Australia's leading credentialed coaches for female executives and entrepreneurs, author, and a highly sought after international speaker. Her previous books are Raw Beauty and the Gift of Asking and forthcoming from Penguin is Power. Kemi has studied leadership and purpose at the Gross National Happiness Center in Bhutan and trained with Dr. Brene Brown to become a certified Dare to Lead facilitator, working with teams and organizations to create daring leaders and courageous cultures. With a level of compassion and wisdom only gained through extraordinary life experience, Kemi is a powerful advocate for connected values-based living. She's a mother of teenagers, a wife, an endurance athlete running 42-kilometer, 200-kilometer races, a dedicated gardener, and aspirational flower farmer. It is just thrilling to have Kemi back as power is about to come out. And you will want to take a peek at the show notes for this episode because pre-ordering this book grants you access to a free event with Kemi, so make sure you check that out. I know you'll be thrilled to hear from her. I've called her our spy, who's been on both sides of the fence, having published independently and now going through the traditional experience with her book, which is out any minute. Join me in welcoming Kemi Nekvapel. Hi, Kemi. Thank you so much for coming on. It is lovely to be back on again. I have been so excited about this. I have to be honest. I've been like, I get to talk to Kemi this week. No, I feel exactly the same. I always enjoy talking to you. So it's such a pleasure to be here again. So you are, as I said, as we were chatting beforehand, you are like our publication like you're, you've gone undercover on both sides <laughs> of because you successfully published several books before getting a traditional deal, which is such a beautiful example because we spoke about this a little bit before that each project has its own identity and has its mm. own needs. And it was really clear, as you've said, that this one, there was something different about it. And I'm wondering if you can talk about 
knowing that this book was going to be different? And how far were you into the process when you knew that perhaps there would be a different publication journey for this book for power? Yeah, great question. Um, I just remember, you know, I'm here in Melbourne on um, Wurundjeri land. And so that means that I was in the, you know, the most lockdown city in the world. And definitely the thing that allowed me to get up every single morning was the fact that I could write and that someone was expecting me to write as in a publishing team. I think it would have been different if I didn't have that deadline. You know, I'm, I'm someone that's very good as a self-published author. I'm good at deadlines, love deadlines. That's not a problem. But I think when you're locked in your home for, for so long, I think maybe if I was self-publishing, it would have been a different thing. The topics in this book involve stories of mine from my childhood as a black woman navigating white spaces and the impact that has had on me in my permission and what I'm allowed, how I'm allowed to live and be in the world. And as I was writing those stories, so the story is, you know, the story, the, the stories in the book are either from my life, either from my clients' experiences being an executive and leadership coach and, you know, and stories that I've observed just, you know, just being a person, a human in the world. And I remember getting to kind of, you know, the first shitty, shitty, shitty first draft. And I just, I remember exactly where I was sitting. Actually, I wasn't sitting at my, at my desk where I write here. I was sitting actually on my meditation cushion. And I just remember thinking, I'm going to write today, but I know I cannot do this on my own. That was all I knew. I just knew I have to put this manuscript down because that the journey of this book, I need a team to hold me in a way that I haven't needed with the other two books. Yeah. I think that's, that's a beautiful way of looking at the way a book happens. You know, I think we think about the author does everything on their own, you know, that it, that's mm. the biggest name on the cover and Yet there are so many other people involved, even when you're publishing on your own. So at that moment to think, okay, I don't have to be, it doesn't have to just be me, mm. is a wonderful realization. It was a great realization. And also what was interesting about that, and this is, you know, we were talking before, before we started recording about The Artist's Way, and I'm sure a lot of the listeners know about The Artist's Way. And if you don't, please find out about The Artist's Way. And, um, you know, where Julia Cameron talks about, you know, just, well, Stephen Pressfield talks about the muse and Julia Cameron talks about, you know, universal, well, I think she actually called, says God or your otherworldly thing. I knew that in putting it down, I knew that something would happen, but I didn't know what that was going to be. In some ways, because I'm used to being a self-published author, I was kind of like, I, I know I maybe need a different self-publishing team than I had before, but I remember just thinking I need to rest this right now. Little did I know that a month later, while doing an online workshop around women and worth, a publisher from one of the four major publishing houses was in that workshop. Oh, I did not know that, did not know her. And then literally as soon as I left the meeting, I received an email about three minutes later with her saying, you know, that was incredible. I really connected with your work. I've seen on Instagram that she must have been very quick, um, which shows about people showing up on social media. I 
It's not I struggle to show up on social media. Um, and but she found me. She looked and she saw that I was writing my third book because I was kind of dropping little quotes from what I'd been writing from the shitty, shitty draft, things that really resonated for me. And she said, would you like partnership with your third book? And just the words that she used, because when I put it down, I had said, I need partnership with this book. I cannot do it on my own. And then the conversations ensued from there. That is so, that's like goosebumps, that experience. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So you had a publisher coming to you before you had an agent or anyone helping you with that process. Yeah. And actually that's really interesting because I now know about this process, the traditional publishing. I had no idea what was going on. (laughs) Yeah. No idea, you know, and to be honest, when that publisher came to me, it took me eight weeks. I had to really think about it, you know, because when I wrote Raw Beauty, my first book, I wrote that book because I met someone who's actually one of my writing mentors has become a really great friend. I met someone basically saying that all of our stories are valid And it is important that we give ourselves permission to use our voices and to write. And when I saw him speak, I just thought, oh, my gosh, you've just given, I've just heard what I need. Because obviously the traditional publishing world doesn't look like people, doesn't, doesn't, you know, have people like me in it. Obviously things have changed over the last couple of years, but I didn't see myself represented there. And I just thought, I'm not waiting for anyone to give me permission to write this book that I know is in me. So then when the traditional publisher came, it wasn't from a place of I need validation or I need you to see me as worthy or this is what makes me a real writer. And I understand that some writers do have those thoughts and I'm not in any way invalidating them, but that wasn't my experience. So then when I, when that publisher came to me, I said, look, I'm going on holiday and I'm going to think about it because I need to think about do I want to let go of all of the control that I've had on over my last two manuscripts and book covers are important to me, you know, and what I get to say and how I get to say it. Do I want to let go of that control for the possibility of having partnership and having access to opportunities and talent and people that I wouldn't have before? I then shared with a friend who is an author, traditionally published, that I had been approached and she said, you need to get an agent. And this is where relationships and friendships come in. And I know that for some listeners, it may feel like, oh, you need to know the right person. I don't think that's true. I do think we need to show up and do the work and people will find us. If we're not doing the work, no one's going to find us. But this friend of mine is a close friend, inner circle friend. He said, speak to my agent. The first question to my agent was, how are you going to look after me as a black author navigating white spaces? Mm because I knew with the contents of the book, I knew, you know, I'm a 47-year-old woman. So, you know, I have a level of my own internal power now that I can trust in my intuition. So I knew that I could ask the right questions to create the team around me that I needed. She then, we we had an amazing conversation. She really enjoyed the book, um, the chapters that I'd written. And she said, look, if this publisher's come to you, let's put it out. Let's pitch it out. And then the next week I had seven interviews with publishers. Wow. Yeah. It happened very quickly. And I remember saying to my agent, I think the Friday before the interviews were going to start on the Monday, I remember saying to her, uh, what are these meetings? Like what happens? Do I have to do something? Do they do something? What happens? And she said, they are going to sell to you why they want your book. And you are going to decide which is the team, if any, that you think can walk along this path with you. 
and it was an incredible week. It was an amazing week. Um, and my agent and I did one word debriefs at the end. That was kind oh. of my yeah. We just did the one word debrief. I just said to her, I said, I'm I I know I'm kinesthetic. I feel things. I know. I'll give you one word at the end. And so that was that was how that process um folded out. And it was great to have an agent. I trusted her from the moment we spoke because I knew I've been the captain of my ship. I now need to trust someone else can steer the ship. And I'm happy to stand next to them as they're steering and maybe say, could we turn a little bit to the left? Could we go a little bit to the right? Um, so yeah, that was that kind of beginning process for me. And I remember there was this beautiful photograph that you, it might've been several even, that you put on Instagram when you share the deal and the look of joy. It was so clear you had picked the one that was the right team for you because I have, it was just radiant. I'm going to see if we can link to it in the show notes. It's so good. (laughs) It was like, this is the face of a woman who just signed a deal. And it was just so joyful. Yeah. And it felt for me as well, like I was saying, it felt it felt different than maybe if it had been my first book, you know, I knew that I had made, and look, the book is called Power, A Woman's Guide to Living and Leading Without Apology. There was no way that I could go into a relationship with a traditional publisher where I felt disempowered or powerless. It just wasn't going to work for me and it wouldn't work for them. And they knew that. And I knew that. And so I'd heard lots of stories. I think we all have about traditional publishers and what happens. And, And to be honest, I have had an incredible experience up until this point working with my team. One of the beautiful things that happened in terms of them looking after me as, you know, a person of colour was that my copy editor, I have my main editor, my senior editor, who is actually a woman, middle-aged woman in Melbourne, so, you know, similar age to me, and a um, woman of colour as my copy editor. It was incredible in the copy edits to see her remarks going, this is my lived experience. Oh my gosh. Oh, I could, what about this? Have you, so it just felt like this energy between the senior editor and, um, you know, the copy editor and me, the three of us, I felt like I was in the orchestra, like, and we were playing these parts to create this book to impact how women navigate living in this world that isn't made for women. Right. Yeah. Yes. What were some of the differences that you experienced? So you said, you know, I need to do this in partnership. Mm. How did it feel different? Because you didn't do your previous books alone. You had, no, you yes. had a team. But what yes. was, what was the, some of the differences that you experienced between working on power and gift of asking and raw beauty? I would say like just literally just the answer that came to my head from that question is that I was not driving it. I had one job to write the book. And that was really freeing because, you know, for anyone that's self-published, you know that you're everything. (laughs) You're covered. And I love all that. I love the cover design and all of those things as well and getting it all together. And I had an amazing sort of self-publishing agent. So they were the ones that would kind of take the text and and do everything. So I wasn't literally loading it up a PDF on my own and that sort of thing. I would crash the internet. That is not my core genius in any way. (laughs) Um, You know, so I did actually pay for someone to do all of that behind the scenes stuff. But the difference for me was that they were driving it, that they had the deadlines 
Um, and, you know, and obviously there was negotiation around those things. I said to them, I always take six weeks off. I'm offline completely every summer. I said, but I know with the, know when we're thinking to launch the book, is that still viable? I still want time offline, what works? And in the negotiation was four weeks offline, that's going to work. But then we want to be building up um, awareness of the book. And I was like, great. And to let you know that you cannot contact me in that four weeks and then I'll be 100% there when I get back. So that's what I would say would be the difference. I I also think as well with editors that the editor that I had self-publishing for my first two books was perfect. I felt like she elevated my words and my text and asked me questions that I could step up into. But I knew that I have changed since I wrote The Gift of Asking six years ago, that my writing style has changed. And I knew that for me, although in some ways it would have been a safe option if I'd have gone self-publishing to go back to that editor, for me, my personal development and growth and for me to extend my craft as a writer was to have, you know, a senior editor that has been doing that work for a very, very long time and really wanted to work on this book. Um, but it's like it's scary. It is, you know, as you press send of that first shitty, even when you know it's the shitty first draft, you still feel like, oh, I've just put my guts. Everything. Oh, my gosh, it's there. Oh, my God. Well, they haven't emailed me back yet. Oh, my gosh, you know. Um but the beauty I love about that is that I know it's part of the process from listening to this, you know, listening to this podcast, Caroline, to listening to the writing podcast, some of the incredible writers and creatives that share with us. That is part of the process. That's not a reason to stop. That is creating. That is writing. And we have to work out how do we manage the part of the process depending on who we are. Yes. And I think that something that you said um, when when we've been speaking before, is that there is power in putting your story out there. Yeah, there is power in putting the story out there. It's really interesting because stories are stories and we all connect with stories regardless in some ways of where, you know, the, the ethnicity of the author or where they are or their age group, there are, you know, words are words and they hit us. It doesn't, it just, they just hit us when they're meant to hit us. And, you know, and I am speaking directly to anyone that's listening to this podcast who really does see themselves as a minority or a marginalized person within their world is write your story. I need to read your story because it gives me permission and power to write my story, that it validates and affirms my experiences. And I grew up, you know, I'm English. I grew up in England. I was with the Royal Shakespeare Company. So for I was exposed to a lot of white rich literature, which I loved. I grew up with Enid Blyton, all of those things. We could pick holes in Enid Blyton now. We know things have come out. Oh, anyway. yeah. At the time, <laughs> lemonade, and I loved the lemonade. Um, but as I have grown up and grown older and realised, oh, my gosh, and as the publishing, you know, the publishing world has realised, oh, my gosh, there are different kinds of people in the world. Maybe we should share their stories too. Um, there is power in sharing our stories, but I think it's not, it's not just about power in there. I feel I don't want to use the word duty because I feel that can be burdensome. Mm. So for some people that could work. If I say it is, if you want to write your story, it is your duty to write your story. So if that resonates, run with it. But what I think I would say is if that feels like a burden is no one has 
the story and the experience that you have, whether that's fiction, whether that's nonfiction, no one. It's impossible unless you have a doppelganger that is living your exact parallel life. So unless you write your story, whether that is fantasy, you know, whatever that is, the story that is in you, we're never going to hear it. It's never going to touch us. It's never going to move us. It's never going to give us permission to speak or to use our voices. And so there is power in being imperfect and just writing anyway. Yes. And there's, there's this insidious thing that happens with the critic well, there's many insidious things, but the one that, that I'm thinking of in the moment is, and what seems to come up when people first have an idea of writing a book, they have this impulse, is this sense of, of there being a club of people who are allowed to write books and why am, what, who says I am allowed to be a part of that club? Who says that it's almost an egotistical validation thing? Like, why am I so special? Why am I saying I'm so special? when as you're saying here, it's it's not only empowering, but it's a profound act of service, I find, to share a story. Because if you think of all the books out there that you've read it and you're not the same afterwards, you know, what if that person had thought, oh, who am I to write this? I'm not very special. And then you wouldn't have had it. And you've taken on a topic that was vulnerable and and scary enough that it was sort of like, how am I going to do this on my own? And yet you persisted. And now we have this beautiful book. So I'm, I'm wondering if you can say something about that shift. For mm. people. Well, I think in going back to this idea around the process and what it is. So I was actually working with this mentor of mine that I, I mentioned who I saw speak that kind of gave me what I needed to hear to start writing. Mm-hmm. And we were kind of doing a bit of a sort of a workshop session around it. And he always jokes because I always need a title before I write a manuscript. He's like, what, why? And I said, I don't know. It's just part of my thing. I need the title. It can be the working title, but I need a title. Anyway, so we were kind of workshopping this title. And I can't remember the first one I came up with, but he said, that is like the beigeest title I've ever heard. Like that is <laughs> 1970s beige you know and um so then I was kind of sitting at my desk and I sort of think and I thought you know what is actually there and as I said it I could feel the emotion in me and I said power and he said I just felt that he said that's the title isn't it and I went yes and then the, the next thing that the inner critic said to me was who do you think you are to write a book about power now because I read books from writers and because I read about the creative process, I knew that that question meant I had to write the book. I had to write it. That that if I did not write that book, I would be missing the opportunity. And I don't even know what opportunities, and when I say that, I don't mean like opportunities of things coming or that. I just mean that who else was going to write the book, you know? if (laughs) I was the one that felt it, physically felt it, emotionally felt it. And the person I was talking to through a screen felt it. And I just knew, okay. And then, you know, I was able to write the manuscript until a certain point. And then I thought, no, I actually need, I need to be held a little bit with this one. I need guidance with this one. I found the structure hard. I hadn't found that with the first two books. And I knew that if I don't have help with the structure, I I just don't know where this is going to go. I feel like I'm going around in circles. 
So that structural edit, those 21 pages that came back were a gift. But I remember with these practice going, I, I don't even know how to do this. And this became technical. This was like, I've got 21 pages of notes. I don't know what happens now. Do I open a Word document? I'm in Scrivener. Do I like, do, am, am I, and I called three author friends and said, what do you do when you get structural edits? And one of them was great. First one said, oh, cry for three days. <laughs> <laughs> and another one was like, just say things like, oh, my editor has no idea what they're talking about, you know, so it's great to kind of see those two things. Um, but I said, I just need to kind of know, like, what do you do with your computer and the edit? How does it work? Because I didn't know because before yeah. the way I'd done edits was different as with, with my self-publishing editor. So it's all, it was, it's all been very new for me. So, so what did you do? I'm dying to know. How did you get through the 21 pages? What did I do? one one word at a time and I yeah. loved your episode around you know doing the edits and I love that all the copy edit stuff oh. I think what I did in the end so I've been working in Scrivener mm-hmm. and no I've been working on Word that was it and then I suddenly realized oh, I loved using Scrivener for the gift of asking so what I decided to do was copy and paste from Word back into Scrivener and just having those files on the side it just suddenly feels like it legitimizes it's like I can see a book there are chapters, there yes. are parts, you know, just, I just love that. And then once I had done that and worked through that and I would call my editor, you know, I would say, I don't, I don't get, I don't understand what you mean with that question. I don't understand. Or there would be questions where she would ask and I said, no, that's not what I mean at all. This is what I mean. Um, and it, you know, it got to a point as well, being in lockdown, although it was a gift to be able to write and to have to write, it also got to a part where the emotional and mental exhaustion of lockdown was definitely taking its toll. Like I was starting to feel like the only energy you have right now is to get this book in. There's not much else left. And I remember talking to my editor who was also in Melbourne and, you know, very, you know, we just shared a lot of grace with each other of like, this is a hard time and we're going to take our time. You know, yeah. we're going to, we're going to, we've got a deadline, but how we manage that deadline, we're going to take our time. And that worked really well because also she said, if, you know, we could move, she said, we could move the deadline. I said, no, we can't move the deadline because if we move the deadline, I've got no reason to get out of bed in the morning. Like, yeah, no, like I definitely need the deadline. Um, but I also just need to have maybe a few more conversations than I would have normally had if life was going about pre-COVID. Yeah. Yeah. I think the other thing too, See, remembering working on a book myself at that time, mm. I think the difference is that I was writing fiction. So I got to escape into this world that had nothing to do with what was going on. Whereas you writing, you know, personal story, I think mm. there's just a completely different, you were almost hyper in your world rather mm. than getting to step out of it. So that takes to me more energy in a situation like 2020? Well, there were two things. There were two things that I did. So there was my writing that got me through and then there were my flowers and my garden and planting flowers and going out and just being, because that's where I escaped to. And the other thing I did was I binged watched Ted Lasso, you know, (laughs) and we can't have a whole, we we, we can't go off on a tangent. We can't go for it. We could do a whole separate show. We could do a whole separate show. I know. 
Yeah. But that for me, you know, that was, you know, I'm writing a book about power. What is powerful for me right now in this global context with me being confined to my home with my family? It's like, it's powerful for me to look after myself. Like, that, that is the way I'm going to get through this book. What is going to nourish and nurture me right now? A beautiful TV show that is so incredibly diverse when you look at it, that is funny, that is human, that is comedy that has me crying at the end going, oh, my gosh, humans are so amazing, which is what I needed through all the other stuff that was going on in the world and then going out into nature and the renewing energy of nature and, you know, just that reverence that I have for, for flowers and the beauty and and all of that felt powerful for me that I could then put what I needed to into the manuscript. Yeah. So you spoke earlier about how writing your first two books that you had changed as a writer, having done them, gone through that process. Mm-hmm. I'm interested in how having this intuition about how the, the journey with this book needed to go, how has going through that process with power changed you and you're still in the middle of it too we're still we're leading up to when the world can access it but up to this point how does it feel that that writing the book and going through and following your intuition has impacted you oh it's it's I I trust my intuition deeply I I had one situation actually I'm not going to share that story here but maybe if I get to Berlin Caroline or you get to Australia we can chat about it but I had one situation I would say when I, not if <laughs> when that's right in my mid teen years when I had an intuition about something and I went against it because I wanted I didn't want to appear unkind or something 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 so I didn't I didn't follow my intuition it didn't turn out well okay and I remember thinking oh don't do that again don't do that again so I am someone that very much believes in my intuition. I have a feeling first and then it goes into my brain, but I always trust the feeling first. It's never, ever, it's always stood me in good stead. So it worked, you know, it, it has been working. I am so grateful for the team around me. And, um, and I have to say, actually, when I had the first, I had a a meeting, you know, you have the, all of the people from all the book distributors that are going to be, you know, involved in your book and talking to booksellers and online selling and all this stuff. It's just incredible. And I had this meeting where there were 14 diverse female faces on my screen, all there to share the book with the world. And my publisher introduced me. And when it came time for me to speak, I burst into tears. Like I was just overwhelmed by the power coming back at me and what they were sharing with me about how the book had impacted them. And it was also for me, and I think this is the idea about my story, I wrote this book because I came from a place of powerlessness. That was my experience. Some of it learned, some of it created, some of it put on me. And I have over the years built up an internal power that allows me to be in the world and own who I am. And so to have this group of women read the book and want to share it in the way that they did, I just found incredibly overwhelming and I was incredibly grateful. It was kind of like the manifestation of when I put down the manuscript and said, I need a team. I need to partner with a team. And there they were. And it's interesting because I decide, you know, I could feel the tears coming up as my publisher was introducing me. And, you know, I write in the book about leadership and vulnerability and courage and bravery. And I thought, I want to work with people who know who I am. I'm a highly sensitive and I'm an emotional person. And for me, it's like, this is what's here. This is the authentic feeling that I have right now. And so 
that's that's what was there. You know, I just it's not what I thought was going to happen, but that's what happened. And um, there's been some beautiful moments and some real connection and real partnership with this book. I am very excited about. I'm very excited about what it's going to do in the world, but I actually just want to something I do want to share with you because I think it will be yeah. interesting for listeners. When I self-published, I wrote the book. It went to my editor. It was edited first edits, came back to me. We edited it again, came back to me, proofread, came back to me, maybe three times. And then I always am very clear that I write to be useful. Okay. I write to be useful. I want my words to be of use. With this book, it felt like I wrote the manuscript, it went to my editor, then it came back to me, then it went back to my editor, you know, structural edits, and it came back to me, editor. Then the copy editor comes in, then it comes back to me, then it goes back to the editor, then the structure, then we're working on it together. Then it comes back to me. Then I'm doing the audio. So then I have to look through it again, and it's the audio books. And then we've, re- we've recorded the gift of asking as well. So doing the audio, and I'm just like, it's making me feel really odd <laughs> seeing this book so much. You know, it feels like I'm used to it having left me and it keeps coming back to me. (laughs) And I I have to be very mindful of what my brain does about that because, of course, I'm looking at going, why did you write that line? What, what, what? Where I didn't have that so much with the other two books because it didn't stay with me as long. Um, You know, and there are other times you look at you like, oh, wow, I cannot believe I wrote that. must have been a moment of genius, that moment. That's amazing. But I do feel like I've been more exposed to it than I would have been if I was self-publishing because traditional, it's very, I wouldn't, you know, I feel like my two books went out self-published and they were rigorously edited and, you know, the work was done, but there's another level of, um, editing and copy editing and making sure that if you mention certain people that they that they have given the permission to be in the book that the quotes are correct that where I got dictionary definitions of words from that that was exactly the dictionary definition like just the deep the attention to detail and I'm glad that that wasn't my job to do that and I'm incredibly grateful that it was their job because I know it's elevated the manuscript and the text and that no one's going to sue me which is (laughs) Very helpful. Very I think this is so essential to hear because there is this profound act of self-harm that many writers do to themselves, which is they pick up a book off the shelf and look at it. And then they look at their first attempts, you know, and the, the shitty first draft, and they expect those things to be in the same form. And it's just... It's, it's, uh, if I could stop one thing in the writing world, it would be comparing your first thoughts and your first moments of your book to one that has been through a process like you're describing. Yeah, 100%. And I really get now when you look at, you know, and for those writers that have that feeling, go to the thank you page, go to the acknowledgements, see how many words are given to most editors compared to like the person's spouse or, you know, children. I mean, obviously it depends, but they are, you know, we are saying that I could not have done this without you because they take our first, you know, jumble of thoughts and ideas and, and, and kind of feelings about things and kind of instincts about things that's not yet formed and the things that are fully formed and they take it. I still have no idea how my copy editor does the work she does. I actually just say my acknowledgements. I don't know how you did what you did, but thank you for doing it. Um, 
you know, it it is not fair on us as writers. I don't need for my um, writers, you know, books that I read, authors that I read, I don't need them to be perfect. I, I just need them to write so that I can get what it is they want me to get. You know, I, I and, and I think working, you need to have somebody else. You know, I would say this as a coach, you need to have somebody objective. You do. You need to have somebody objective looking at your manuscript. But, you know, not your mate's mate down the road, you know, not your mum, unless your mum's an author or an editor or publisher, you know, someone that is actually professionally within that space or, you know, a book coach like Caroline is. You need someone objective who wants to elevate your manuscript and is willing and cares enough about your words and your story to shape it so they have the most impact and the most clarity for the reader. But that's why we thank our editors so much because they weave, they do magic. They do magic. It's true. It's there's and the other thing that happens, I wonder if you had this experience having the book come back so many times is I've had so many students who at a certain point when they've been working on a book for a long time and we get to like draft three, four or five, they're like, this is the most boring book that's ever been written in the history of time. And, and we have to say, you were actually fired from being determined, you know, from determining whether or not this book is, is boring. Because think of your favorite book. Have you read it 15 times? Yeah. Yeah. Closely I, looking yeah. for mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> this, and this, this is the thing with it is that we get too close to it. You can't, you can't be objective or you, and, and like I said, I'm so thankful for every single writer that's written about the craft of writing, every single writer or artist that's written about the, the process of creativity, because we know this as fact. We know this is part of the process, not an individual experience. And I think that for me in knowing that I could go, oh, you're starting to pick this apart now and you're picking it apart because you've seen it too much. It doesn't mean that it's worthy of being picked apart. You have to trust the process and the team that believe in this manuscript in the same way that I believed it, you know, in my other two books as well, when it was just me and a smaller team and just know what you're feeling is part of the process. It's not real and it will change. And then it will be the next part that will feel exciting or the next part that's a little bit, whatever that is. But yeah, we, we, we have to be gentle with ourselves. It's vulnerable, exposing work. It is. Yeah. It is especially, and even more so, I think when you're sharing personal experience and that you're then going to be in a situation, you know, where all of these people have this story and yet all of these people get to benefit from this story. But it is, it's, it's like, I think Mary Laura Philpott said when she, when her memoir first came out and she saw for the first time, a copy of the book, like in someone's office or something, she said it was as if one of her internal organs that she shrieked and it was like, you know, her, her spleen was sitting on this person's table. It was like, what is that doing here? (laughs) Yeah, it is. um, But it's interesting what you say though, about because they're stories from my life. I, you know, I, I listen to this podcast. I listen to stories. I read novels. I have no idea how people write stories from their head with characters. I just, I have a friend who's an author, very, you know, very well published author in her genre. And she says, I wake up with characters in my head and I don't leave bed until I've written down the characters. And I'm like, but where do they come? Like, what do you mean? Like, where are they? So, you know, as a nonfiction writer that does have an element of creative writing, because I'm writing the stories of my lived experience and bringing memoir in, I'm not sure that it is harder to be honest, mm. because 
I think if somebody said, oh, your character doesn't have a character arc or you felt that, oh, it doesn't have a character arc or it doesn't really make sense, they would say that or they would do that or how do they even go there or would they live there? That's the same voice that's saying, you know, oh, you've written that now, what are people going to think if, if you write that and can you say that? And it's the same internal chatter. It's the same voice that is, you know, Stephen Pressfield said, it's the same resistance that is wanting to, what does he say? Resistance is out to kill you. Yeah. You know, it's not, it's not like out there to shake you a little bit or, you know, give you a little tickle. It is out to kill you dead. And you have to know that it's there and just go, okay, I know that you're here. I know what you're telling me and I'm going to write my story anyway. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. Because it thinks that putting that story out there is more dangerous than anything else you could do. But yeah. at the same time, it I always say that when the critic starts to freak out, when it starts to say, oh, this is a bad idea. As you said, I've got to write this book. Yeah. It doesn't do that if something doesn't matter, if there's not energy in it, and if it doesn't have potential. Yeah, 100%. I actually talk about that at the end of the book. I talk about kind of, you know, community and the power of communities and the, and the power of when, I, when we think about people that have really stood in their power and own their story, especially when it comes to equality, and that when then the status quo and structures that have been in place, when they start to want to dismantle the agitators and the activists, that is your sign that something is happening because they are wanting to stop whatever is going on, therefore keep going. And it feels the same, you know, that's kind of on a global scale. If suddenly governments or organisations are going, no, 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 we need to, no, 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 we need to stop what they're doing. You're like, oh, better keep marching, better keep marching. And it's the same with writing. It's like when you hear those voices, it's like keep on writing because the gift that you want to bring to the other to the world is on the other side of that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it, people don't get nervous unless something is changing. And I think this goes even to publishing itself, you know, as we're getting into publishing, it's, I'm, I'm really hopeful that going forward, that people will start to think not that, okay, I have to get myself into this club of, of fitting in with the, you know, the, the shape of what publishing has looked like before. It's like, every time you publish a book, you redefine yeah. what publishing is. And so by putting it out, whether you're putting it out yourself, whether you get a publishing deal, whether you participate in however you do, but mm -hmm. by being a writer who publishes a book, you're, you get a vote, you're voting on what publishing looks like. Publishing doesn't get to tell you who you are. Yeah. And publishing doesn't have to give you permission or validate you writing. And, you know, I would enjoy this experience with a traditional publisher, but I will, I'm pretty sure I'll self-publish again at some point because I really enjoyed the process. And I think that's one of the beautiful things about this time is that now self-publishing has its own indie following and its respect and what also what it does for authors in terms of income and being able to be completely in charge of what it is that you do. Is, and there's a joy in that. There's a joy in, you know, having complete control over all of those things. And so I can see a time in the future where I may decide, you know, to self-publish um, and, you know, be a hybrid author and work with both depending on what the project is. But I do know that if I hadn't have written my first book and loved that, I was surprised how much I loved that. I just loved it. As soon as I put the last word, the end, I knew I want to do that again. I, I want to do all of this again. So then I wrote my second book, put that out there. And then I was going to publish Power on my own. You know, I thought I'll just do this book on my own. But then as it revealed itself to me, as we've spoken about, it was actually, it was destined for a different journey. And that's the journey that I'm, I'm on right now. But 
unless we write, we're not publishing anything traditional or otherwise. Yeah, it's true. And I think that if you feel hesitation, if you feel fear about it, I cannot think of a better book for people to read, even though, you know, the book isn't expressly about publishing, but I think that I can't think of a better book to put on your reading list as you're thinking about publishing than Power, because that is something that you have to claim for yourself in order to step forward and share your story. So go grab it. And I talk in there, I talk about the power of our beliefs, the power of our stories, the power of our imprints, the power of community, the power of delight, the power of fun and joy. Like, you know, and the tagline is living and leading without apology, but it does apply to writing because it's right, you know, in your writing, you're leading. And can you write without apology and own this is my experience, this is what happened to me, or this is my story. These are the these are the characters that I am creating. I feel they need a voice in the world. And as writers, we need to do that without apology. And the moments when we feel like we are apologizing for our voice, that's when it's good to have a, you know, a book coach or, or, or a team around you to say, okay, we know where you are in the process. This is this is perfect. This is exactly how it works. It's absolutely fine. How are we going to move you through the next stage? Yeah. And then we end up with more beautiful books to read. Oh my gosh. And we just need more beautiful books. So many books. We just need... We need more books. I just, oh, I just love them. I went into a bookshop the other day and I was like, I'm just going to buy one book, came out with six. But that, you know. It's impossible. Have you ever come out with one book? No. Me either. No. No. So I don't even know why we say that. Um, I know. I say it too. I'm like, I'm just going to get one. And it has literally never happened. Yeah. I saw a very funny post yesterday. It was a woman who said, I was speaking to my therapist today and she said that given I've you know, bumped into some frustration in life. I should spend all of my spare income on books immediately. And she said, and I really resonated with that statement. I was like, who is this therapist? I want this therapist too. You know, but you already know that. So you I already know that. You, already know I know. that. You, all, you all listening can't see this, but both of us have giant bookshelves behind us. Just, yeah. you know, yeah. Mine are starting to be turned sideways and put like shoved in sideways above the books. Like it's never going to stop. It's just never going to stop. Never going to stop. It's never going to stop. Am I, can I share with the listeners a book that I bought recently? Yes, please. Just because it's a quote book. I think it's a great book for kind of that sort of inspiration moment. It's called No Idea Is Final. Ooh. And it's from the talks, which I hadn't heard about. <gasps> so it's a book. It is very thick and you open it up and I'm just going to, can I just intuitively open it up? And oh, let's yeah. See- Let's do it. Let's do it. I see beauty in things that are dysfunctional rather than just pure line and shape. Yeah. So it's a book about from creatives and it is broken up into writers and actors and sculptors and photographers. It's everyone. There's like 700 quotes in this book. And I give every, I'm everyone's book therapist right now. And it is very important for your healing that you have books around you that inspire you from the words of other creatives to know that we are all part of a community and it is difficult and challenging work, but it's also delightful and rewarding work. It is. And if you've got a bunch of books around you, then you're never alone. Never alone. Never, never going away without a book. It's always in my bag. Always a book. Always. Yeah. And I actually... I actually feel like a very proud parent because my children are the same. They're teenagers and they, I just say, you're never bored with a book. You're never bored with a book. They always have a book on them. 
Oh, well done. (laughs) Thank you so, so much for coming on again. As I said, I've really been so excited about it and watched this book kind of coming along and saying, I can't wait until we get to talk about it. And it's been just such a joy as always. Oh, it's been an absolute pleasure, Caroline. I lo- as you know, I listen avidly to this podcast. So as a listener, thank you for the work that you're doing. And um, it's beautiful to be part of this community of writers and also to be part of what you're doing with The Secret Library. So thank you for having me on again. Oh, you're so welcome. Welcome.